What is happening, everyone? Along with Will Brewer, I'm Colby Daniels. Will, how are you today, my friend? Good, man. Uh, great UFC card last Saturday. We got a banger of a main event coming up. And on top of that, the headlines, bruh, it's been crazy this past <laughs> week. <laughs> Uh, by the way, 10 for 10 last week in terms of finishes and not a single fight on last week's card went to the judges, which uh, I think I speak for everyone when I say I absolutely love it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, when the UFC's had these Apex cards, you know, a lot of times now that the UFC's gone back on the road, these road shows have been getting all the highlights and everything. But last Saturday, man, 10 for 10. I mean, that was the best uh, Apex uh, card that we've had in a while. And the fact that it that it uh, all fights went to a uh, went to a finish. I mean, it doesn't get any better yeah. than that. Yeah. Well, let's jump right into it. The main event in this card was uh, light heavyweights Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos. Um, I think we were all somewhat uh, fearful that this from the Santos side could turn into another dud. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on how the fight went. Uh, ultimately, it's Jamal Hill getting the finish in the fourth. Uh, I will just point out one thing. I think it's quite obvious. The gas tank seems to be pretty non-existent from Tiago Santos at this stage. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, the gas tank. And that was a grueling fight on both ends. But uh, I will say the gas tank, it, it does look pretty non-existent. Uh, and the pace that they were fighting at, uh, the, the fact that Jamal Hills just like doesn't ever take a backward step, uh, just continuously pursuing him. Uh, and you're making Tiago Santos move. You're making him have to think about, okay, what's my next move? You, you're never giving him any time to really breathe. And Jamal Hill did a great job with that, uh, pursuing him. But, I mean, like I, like I said last week, man, Jamal's going to be that guy to, to bring the fight out of him. And because if he, if he didn't, then Jamal was just going to knock him out anyway. But the fact that Jamal was in his face pursuing him, I think that kind of forced Tiago um, to, like, if you're going to be in my face, I'm going to throw. And, and he did throw. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, the sight, it's a sight that we hadn't seen in a while. Uh, it was an exciting fight that definitely was, it wasn't a dud in my mind. I, I felt like this was a really good, entertaining kind of back-and-forth fight. Tiago was able to get him to the ground a few times. And, you know, when, you, when you're in these light heavyweight main events uh, with a, a guy who's a rising prospect, you, you want to see him face a little bit of adversity. You want to learn something about him. And I felt like we learned some things about uh, Jamal Hill when, when it gets into the later rounds. Uh, how he defends takedowns and, uh, you know, the fact that he's able to pursue into the championship rounds. I think that uh, told us a lot about him. Um, I'm glad that we saw what we saw out of Tiago. It just sucks that it took this long for it yeah. to come out and that it had to be a guy like Jamal Hill who has that type of style to bring it out of him because had he fought this way a few fights ago, I mean, we wouldn't even be doubting, you know, Tiago Santos at all because he showed us spurts of that, of that guy again. But I think... Um, the fact that his gas tank kind of, you know, went out towards the later rounds was the reason why we didn't see it sooner. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of the one of those things that you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I'm just glad that he kind of went out on his shield and it, he made it a, an exciting, fun fight for the fans. It's kind of a chicken and the egg situation because it's like, um, does he fight that kind of fight if Jamal Hill isn't Jamal Hill, right? Like Jamal Hill exactly. forced the issue. So, so Tiago had to be more uh, active than he's been in the last few fights or he's going to get knocked out simultaneously. I mean, it felt like, Will, the, it was a very grueling fight. I completely agree. But it felt like the gas tank was basically gone by the second round. And that's why we saw Tiago. I mean, I'm sure that grappling was a big part of the game plan anyway, right? But when he went to that as, as basically the primary form of, of attack mode, that was when I, I was like, the gas tank looks empty. Like, he didn't look like he had much more juice uh, at that point. I'm curious to know how you had the fight scored. Um I wasn't actually like watching it from a scoring standpoint like I normally do. So I would need to probably rewatch it to actually give an opinion on where it was. But uh, in the aftermath of it all, how about the fact that two of the three judges had Santos leading on the scorecards going into the fourth round in which Jamal Hill actually got the finish? Yeah, you know, some of those rounds were really close. Um, uh, I had it 2-1 for Jamal Hill. I thought Santos had a really good third round. Uh, that second round was really close, but I thought that first round... Uh, I thought Jamal Hill got the better of him, but I mean, I could, I definitely understand where you would give uh, Tiago the upper hand, because uh, you know some of those rounds were close. But I had it two one, and then you know Jamal Hill was looking really good in that fourth up until the finish. It seemed like, like you said, by that fourth round, Tiago was spent, uh, and Jamal Hill was going to pull away. But he eventually got the finish, so um, we didn't get to see the, uh, going to a fifth round. But I did have it two one for Jamal Hill, and it looked like he was going to pull away in the championship rounds. Yeah. 
like going into the fourth round, Jamal Hill looked like the better fighter. Jamal Hill looked like there was more in the gas tank. Like everything that we would we would say about a fight in real life, if we weren't scoring rounds, we would say like clearly Jamal Hill is ahead. Yet this is the interesting dynamic. There's there's a world in which I I looked at those two those two scorecards and I said like I don't think that's crazy. Again, I wasn't necessarily scoring it. Like I wasn't watching it from that lens. But just like as that fight, as we watched three rounds, like it, that's not shocking to me that Tiago Santos is potentially up two rounds to one. And simultaneously, I feel like Jamal Hill, if you're just calling this a fight over the course of 15 minutes, Jamal Hill was way ahead, right? Like just in terms of the fight itself, but the way that we score rounds, like potentially you could have scored that two one for Tiago Santos. And it's such an interesting dynamic. Um, yeah, at least at least this wasn't a a yawn fest for 15 minutes or or 25 minutes or something like that. Uh, I'm curious to know what you want to see for Jamal Hill next because I believe he is now the current number six light heavyweight in the world. Now he's in a very very interesting spot because um, with him being number six, you look at the guys ahead of him. You got Yuri and Glover most likely fighting for the title. If not Yuri and Glover, it's Yuri and Jan. Then you got like Jan and uh, Uncle Live, who are kind of in the same kind of tier where like they could they could be next for the title. But their last wins were kind of it didn't really prove anything for them being the number one contender, which opens the door for Glover a little bit. And since they're kind of on the same playing field, you kind of want to see Jan and Uncle Laya fight for that number one contender spot. Then you got Rackage torn ACL. You got Anthony Smith, who uh, broke a bone in his foot or something like that. So those are all the guys ahead of Jamal Hill. I mean, if. If there's some way where he can kind of slide into one of those spots where he can fight Ankalaev or he can fight Jan, that would be great for him. But after what I saw with him fighting Tiago, I kind of would hold off uh, on uh, advancing him that far, um, at, at least not this soon. What I would do if I were him, um, I would wait. I would kind of let this picture play out. He's been active. He's got his spot. I would kind of just wait and kind of see how things play out. I mean, I'm sure we'll hear about what's going to happen with the title here soon. And then like the, the division will kind of play out because we'll, then we'll see what's what's happening at the top of the division. If I'm Jamal Hill, he's kind of at this tier kind of by himself where he's like not a prospect anymore, but he's right on the edge of being a contender. Like he's number six, like he's yeah. right on the cusp of that top five spot. Uh, if I'm Jamal Hill, I'm kind of just waiting to see um, – what happens uh, with this light headweight title picture towards the, as this year comes to a close and, uh, you know, pick his shots. Cause he's got the star, not, not the star power, but he's got the, the fight style. Uh, I know the, the UFC brass is behind him, especially being off the, the contender series and everything. Um, I would just kind of wait it out and see, man. Uh, but I don't really know. I don't really think there's a clear answer for him as far as what could be next. So I'm operating under the assumption here that it's going to be Yuri and Glover in a rematch operating under the assumption that Jan and Uncle Iev are going to fight for a number one contender spot. And then beyond that, I think, you know, there's certainly the option to wait for Rockets or Anthony Smith to get healthy. But in terms of wanting to turn this around somewhat, you know, within a, a, a decent timeline, the two names that stick out to me, Dominic Reyes has been out for a while and doesn't have a dance partner currently. I think that's a good matchup. And the other one, maybe, I don't know if it's too soon. I'm curious to see what your appetite would be for a, a uh, Jamal Hill, Paul Craig, Paul Craig rematch. Because again, if you are going to become a contender, like we think Jamal Hill might be like, maybe you need to prove that you can be somebody with the grappling ability that Paul Craig has, Paul Craig. And you know, <laughs> Paul Craig uh, <laughs> tore up his arm last time they fought. Right. So like I'm in for that rematch. I don't know how many people would be. It's, I mean, stylistically, it's not going to be a banger, right? It's either going to be Jamal Hill beating him up on the feet or Paul Craig trying to, get this thing down like he did with Uzdemir and, and potentially get a submission. But uh, I wouldn't mind them potentially going in that direction. And I would assume Jamal Hill would love to get that one back. Yeah. So first um, to start with Reyes, I mean, I would love that fight if I'm Jamal Hill, but if I'm Reyes, that's a tough fight to come back to. And after being out for so long and on this losing streak that he's on, if I'm Dominic Reyes, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm aiming lower okay. <laughs> than Jamal Hill because Jamal Hill okay. is on is is on a you know he's on this winning streak and he looks like he could be a, a a fun matchup but not the type of matchup that you want to jump right back into. Uh, but in terms of Paul Craig, I'm not even going to try to do the name like you do it. But in terms of him, I think that um, if Jamal Hill wants to get back in there qu rather quickly and he wants to 
you know, not wait for this title picture to play out, get back in there before the end of the year. I'm sure that's a matchup that not only would Jamal Hill love, but I'm sure Paul Craig would love that matchup again as well because he did beat him before. And now Jamal Hill's on this uh, big winning streak, but Paul Craig just lost to Vulcan. And he's like, you know, I just beat Jamal Hill um, last year. So, I mean, I'm sure that's when I can get back and get back on track. So yeah. that fight ma- does make sense. Uh, if I'm Jamal Hill, I don't know for sure if I would take that. Like part, like it's, it's weird because like part of me, Things like definitely Jamal Hill should take that because of what of what Paul Craig did to you last time. Dislocated your elbow, uh, halted all the momentum. And then the other part of me is like, you're number six now. Paul Craig just lost. Uh, I mean, I think Paul Craig's number 10 now. So, like, that, it, it seems like now there's a lot of uh, risk-reward with that fight that I'm not sure that Jamal Hill would want to take on. But, I, I mean, I don't know. I would love to see that fight again, to be honest yeah. with you, because uh, at this point— uh, you either just wait for that fight, wait for this white heavyweight division to, to take shape, or you know you, you you fight backwards and you fight a guy who you lost to. So it makes a lot of sense. Let's hit the co-main event because it was Jeff Neal with a TKO in round three over Vicente Luque. We were both on the Luque side of this fight. Um, I think we both kind of just felt like Luque was on another level from Jeff Neal. Um, here's this was a really frustrating fight for me. Um, I don't know that my opinion has changed at all uh, in terms of, of how I view these guys. I, I'm going to give Jeff Neal a ton of credit for, for what happened here, but uh, I want to get your take on, on what happened in this fight and, and how you perceived uh, what went down between Jeff Neal and Vicente Luque. Well, look, um, so before this fight, um, when we were breaking down this fight last week, you know, I said... I would give Jeff Neal a, a much bigger chance to win if this was the same guy that that was fighting before he got sick. You know, I just saw, you know, his last few performances. I didn't it just didn't seem like he had that guy in him, that that aggression, you know, the and uh, the striking, the gas tank. It just seemed like that guy wasn't in him anymore. Um, but it seemed like he brought that guy back. You know, it, it seemed like he was moving forward. Um, he saw all of Luque's punches coming. Uh, that combo that he hit him with to kind of start this whole thing that originally rocked him. It seemed like after that that landed, like uh, Vicente just wasn't all there anymore. Like um, it was easy for Jeff Neal to kind of get off after he landed that combination. Um, and then th- his left hand, that that left, boy. Uh, I-, I wonder if that was the thing that was frustrating for you because I was shocked at how much that left hand of Jeff Neal was landed on Luke. Like it, it seemed like he'd never missed. I would love to see yeah. the stats on just the left hand alone and how much uh, it landed because it just seemed like it was just money in the bank. And uh, Luke didn't have any answer for it, but I wonder. You know, it kind of seemed like Luke was a little, uh, was a little slower than normal. Uh, I don't know if he had a, a tough weight cut or if just if that combination just kind of took everything out of him. But um, from Jeff Neal's side of things, I think that he did. He was aggressive. That's something that we haven't seen since he's come back from this sickness. Uh, he was definitely w- way more aggressive. Uh, so I like the. The, the urgency that Jeff Neal had, it, he, he definitely realized the opportunity at hand fighting a guy in the top 10. And, you know, Jeff Neal before this, like when the pandemic started, like he was the dark horse of the division. And with a win like this, he kind of put himself right back in that discussion. So but on the Luke side, it you know, it just didn't seem like he was all there. And I wasn't sure if he underestimated him or, or if it was a bad way cut. But, you know, he's never been finished. And it, this one kind of seemed a little too uh, easy you yeah. know for me. But. Uh, great win by Jeff Neal. I don't want to take anything away from him. Absolutely. I give Jeff Neal all the credit in the world for capitalizing on the opportunities that were there in this fight. Um, I, For me, I don't know that it was like, I felt like Luque was slow as much as, like it's, I think Luque is one of the most um, well-rounded guys in this entire division, right? And it's, it's almost like at some point you expect there to be a little bit of evolution in terms of his approach. Jeff Neal had one path to victory, I think, in this fight against Vicente Luque, right? Matchups make fights. Like, I'm not saying all matchups aren't aren't equal. In this specific matchup, Jeff Neal's advantage was going to be land power shots. Like, that's the advantage you have over Vicente Luque. Vicente Luque essentially played into the one path that Jeff Neal had, right? Like, Luque, we're not seeing any evolution in terms of, like, defense or even caring to have defense. Like, he's still in this Terminator mode of, even though he's incredibly well-rounded... Like, I'm going to go forward, and my chin is going to be better than your chin, and ultimately that's what's going to get me the win. And it's like, he could have won that way. I'm not saying he couldn't have, but, like, that's literally Jeff Neal's path to victory as well, is to land the big shot, and you're inviting him to land the big shot with just going forward without any, I mean, reckless abandon, right? Like, he just wanted to go forward and land big shots, and it didn't matter if he was going to take them 
at the same time. And it just, to me, was a very odd approach. It doesn't feel like we've seen any evolution from Luke in terms of that, that stylistic, like, let's go to war type of mentality. And look, I love that about him because it creates some great, great matchups and great fights, uh, wars, right? Like, but at some point you would expect like to see some evolution. You would expect to see a guy that understands, like I'm fighting a guy that I probably have more skills than, and maybe I don't need to just like rely on my chin every single fight. Cause it's your chin is a strength until it's not right. Like you all, you, everybody is going to absorb so many. And then all of a sudden your chin's gone. Like why, when you're that skilled to me, it's crazy to just continually go into fights where you maybe have other advantages and say like, I'm just going to, take more damage than you're going to take. And that's going to be my path to victory is, uh, so it was kind of just a, a, a weird approach. I think disappointing to see that there's not been any evolution in, uh, in Luke's, um, approach to the sport. And I mean, you know, again, like Luke's tough as nails, never been finished. And now he's been finished. Like, is this now the point where he's taken too many shots and his chin is not one of the assets, right? Like that happens to everybody eventually. So I, I, again, like Jeff Neal could have certainly won this fight, even if Luke had a different approach, but it was just such a weird way to approach this fight from a guy that I, I think is incredibly well-rounded and skilled and multidimensional to go into this fight against a heavy handed hitter and say, I'm just going to trade big shots with you. Cause that's essentially what, what Luke's game plan was. And ultimately he came out on the wrong end of that. And to your point, like I, I never felt like in this fight, he was the same after Neal landed that big left early in the fight. I just kind of always felt like he was uh, just trying to fight through the the cobwebs, if you will. So uh, very interesting fight. Again, credit Jeff Neal uh, for landing the big shots and taking advantage of the opportunities that were there. But it was very odd and uh, somewhat concerning for Luke to be a guy that I think does have championship caliber ability to not evolve his approach, I think, to the sport. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those cases, man, where he's been in so many wars and for the most part, he's always come out as the the winner in right. a lot of these, in a lot of these wars. And maybe he didn't think that Jeff Neal would be able to last in a war with him. Uh, he just fought Bala Muhammad where he didn't really have a chance to go out there and really land anything really major because, you know, Bilal was, was uh, on his bike, was taking him down. So that, you know, I'm sure he wanted to go yeah. out there and, and prove a point, make a statement after a loss uh, and be in a war, being an exciting fight. Because, you know, he knows, like, that's what Jeff Neal is. Jeff Neal's not going to take him down. Uh, so maybe he just thought, like, you know, I'm going to get into another war with the, with the young guy, prove myself, and get right back uh, in the title hunt. But, you know, Jeff Neal was, a, you know, his hands. You know, he's called hands of steel for a reason. And, and right. Luke found out the hard way. So, um, yeah, he definitely fought to what Jeff Neal does does best. I think Luke was, was, uh, was expecting a war, but Jeff Neal just fought a little bit more strategically and was able to land things that he probably saw were open in, in, in film training and stuff like that. So uh, credit to Jeff Neal. But yeah, you're right. It was a, a very weird approach when Luke is so uh, so much better and more experienced in other areas of the game outside of striking. Yeah. I mean, the one advantage the guy has over you, which look, Luke is capable of knocking somebody out, but Jeff Neal's one advantage over you is heavy hands. Like that's right. And you're going to allow that advantage to become the the part of the fight that's that's not only like a big part of it it's the feature part of it like you guys were just going forward and trading shots like that uh, just it was mind-blowing to me um that that um he would play into the one advantage that jeff neal had over him uh where i mean i think you would probably give him the check mark in every other area of the game but uh either way jeff neal's the winner he moves up five spots eighth now in the welterweight division what's next for jeff neal man um you know, he called out Gilbert Burns. I kind of like that fight. I think that would be a very um, entertaining, stylistic fight uh, with Gil with how Gilbert Burns uh, has, you know, proved his hands are, are fast and, and powerful and stuff. But I definitely think that Gilbert Burns, especially after seeing what Luke did, Gilbert Burns wouldn't be afraid to take this guy to the ground and, and use his jujitsu because, you know, Gilbert Burns' jujitsu is miles and miles better than Jeff Neal. So uh, I'm sure he wouldn't be afraid at all. Uh, he would probably he might entertain a war, but with with him just losing the Hamza, I know he'll probably want to get a win by any means, and he'll take this fight to the ground and get a, a submission. But um, you know, it, it, it's it's a weird spot for Jeff Neal to be in because you know he did beat Luke, who was ranked number six or or five or whatever he was ranked, but like he lo he just lost to Wonder Boy and he just lost to uh, Neil Magny. Right. So like, sure, you know that spot put, you know puts him ahead of those guys now. Uh, and he's calling out Gilbert Burns, who is uh, in, in the top four or five. But, you know, I kind of would want to see him fight one of these guys that are that are ranked like in the middle there. But like, 
I'm sure he's not going to fight Wonder Boy again or or Neil Magny again. I mean, I know Shavkat's there, but I mean, is he really going to try to fight Shavkat? Uh, I mean, maybe there's uh, the the Brady and uh, who's Brady fighting? Bilal winner. Yeah, uh, he's got a win over Bilal, but you know that fight's not until October. He's looking to turn it around, so it seems like Gilbert Burns is the best option. Uh, I, I there's no way if I'm the UFC, I, there's no way I'm matching Gilbert Burns with Jeff Neal. Um, I, again, I think that's somewhat lopsided in terms of overall draw, right? Um, right. Not that it's a bad fight. Like I think it's a good fight. I would yeah. I would like to watch it, but it just doesn't make sense. I think in terms of the marquee part of the matchmaking aspect, um, I love the idea of Shavkat, um, Michael Chiesa, maybe. Um, you know that's big name, slightly below you in the rankings, but a winnable fight for Jeff Neal that also I think like helps the resume uh, because of Chiesa's name. But yeah, I mean he's kind of in this spot where. Like, Bilal's not going to fight Jeff Neal if he beats Sean Brady, right? Sean Brady would probably fight Jeff Neal uh, after a win over Bilal, but I don't think, like, Bilal, I think, is probably accomplished enough to where he wouldn't want to go back down again. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a an interesting spot here where I'm sure Jeff Neal would like to fight up in the rankings, but he had lost two before the win over Ponzinibbio, which I, I think, again, I scored that for Ponzinibbio, uh, and now he's, he's beat Luke. So, uh, welterweight division... Um, at least where I think he's at, not a lot of ways to go if you want to fight up in the rankings, but certainly some big matchups that I think he could capitalize on fighting slightly down in the rankings. All right, Will, we had uh, two finales in season 30 of The Ultimate Fighter, and we'll begin in the heavyweight division. It was Mo Usman over Zach Pauga, uh, second round knockout. Um, you know, we, we talked about this last week in terms of, of Mo and the power and the explosiveness. Like, I... I I never really felt like we saw him land anything clean enough in his first two fights to know how much power was really there. Uh, he landed a shot clean on Pauga, and that was it, man. It was uh, lights out. Yeah, I mean, you can see, like, this guy has a lot of, like, uh, like the guy is thick down low. Like, his, mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of muscle in his legs. Explosiveness. And, uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of explosiveness. And I don't think we got to see that because the guys who were fighting in the house were so much bigger than him, so much taller than him. Right. So it was hard for him to really close the distance and land anything super clean. Um, but with in this fight with Palga, man, I mean, they kind of, they were kind of the same size, um, the same height. So uh, we really got to see that that power that he possesses in flying colors. I mean, goodness, it didn't really even seem like he landed like flush. Like it was just like just the right shot at the right time. And you know, Palga didn't see it coming. He went in kind of uh, with no. Um, plan and, and when he was moving out mo landed that big strike that big left hand and uh took him out but um even up to that point you know you could see even from what we saw in the house and what you know i've seen when he was fought in the pfl and stuff uh mo usman's gotten better he's he fights very strategically you can tell kamaru you know being with kamaru and um uh, around those guys that he trains with you know, he really takes it serious and he, he seems like he's really starting to learn uh, about this game of MMA because he, he fought that fight very strategic. Yeah. And even in the house, he was kind of seeming that way. So I feel like he got a lot better and, you know, it showed, you know, getting a finish. The other tough finale was the uh, women's flyweight division, Juliana Miller over Brogan Walker. I thought this was going to be the best fight on the entire card. Um, dude, Juliana Miller was just an unstoppable force, right? Like, I think both of these women are incredibly talented, but I, I think it speaks to what we saw in Juliana Miller's first two fights of, of season 30 of Tough. She's just not going to be stopped, right? Like, she kind of just has this <laughs> mindset, like, I'm going to get what I want in this matchup, and she did it against Brogan Walker. Like, she is pay attention to her in that flyweight division because it's, it's not just her skills or anything like that. Like mindset is such an important part and she has that type of mindset. That's, that's going to potentially be the difference in big fights, man, this girl is good. I mean, uh, like you said, the mindset is, is such a big thing with her because going into this fight, if you would have asked me who's the better striker, I would have said broken, you know, who's the, uh, who's better with grappling. I probably gave the edge to Juliana Miller. And then, but like, in terms of the, the overall skill set of MMA, you would probably think that Brogan probably has uh, the better skill set. Yeah. But uh, on this on this night, um, Juliana's mindset, man, uh, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, with all these girls in the house that she's fought, it seemed like they don't really realize, like, the how strong she is um, and how much of a dog that she is. I mean, and all these girls had to learn the hard way, and especially Brogan. I felt like, you know, Brogan was pursuing her at first and then Juliana landed. a It was like a clean right. And then 
from there, it was, you know, Juliana pretty much controlled the, the entirety of the fight, being able to take her to the ground, control her on the ground. Uh, and they were saying on the broadcast, like, they, like these girls don't realize how strong Juliana Miller is in the clinch and with her wrestling. Um, she was able to advance on Brogan and then start landing some, some brutal elbows on him and ended up getting the finish. I mean, that was her best performance. I, I will say this, man. I thought that being in the house, she was just kind of riding this wave of momentum and that it would just, like, end as, you know, you get into the bright lights, uh, you know, on a UFC fight night card. But she got better, you know, just like Mo Usman did. She yeah. got better from the time she left the house uh, into this fight, man. Not to say Brogan didn't, but Juliana just definitely got better. And then her mindset on top of that. I mean, her mindset is probably the best trait that she has. Yeah. Her her mindset, uh, it, it, it kind of reminds me of of, uh, of Kobe in a way. Like, just yeah. the, like her mentality is just so strong. There's There's nothing that you can do to break her. And she broke all these girls that she fought on the on the season, and she broke uh, Brogan uh, on 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 Saturday. It was a fantastic performance. And even gave a uh, a DX suck it upon oh, finishing Brogan. Yeah, that that might have been the highlight of the night for me. <laughs> she she gave her the the suck it the DX suck it yep. sign, and gave her a little push at the end. Uh, she's she's a dog, man. She uh she's definitely a dog. Yeah. Sergey Spivak over Augusto Sakai in the heavyweight division. I, I kind of felt like this was uh, an easy one for me to pick. I, I just thought Spivak's uh, skill set uh, was going to be a problem for Sakai. Um, I thought he absolutely dominated this fight. Uh, and uh, this went about the way that I thought it was going to. Big win for Spivak, who gets back into the top 15. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, Sakai has the advantage on the feet. But, it, you know, he, when, once you start to wrestle with him, it doesn't really seem like he's got a, a outlet out of that um Spivak was able to get this uh, wherever he wanted and you know uh Sakai got tired pretty early uh Spivak uh, went into the clinch early made him work and then uh outside of that Sakai didn't really have an answer for it, it seemed like it gassed him out and Spivak was able to finish him in the second a uh, very very good performance for Spivak and he's earned his way back into the top 15. Spivak's one of those guys stylistically that uh, like I, I don't think he's a future world champion. I'm not trying to say that, but he stylistically in that division because he does have heavy hands and it, it, like he's not the greatest striker, but he does have heavy hands. Uh, he's not a, a, a fun matchup, I think, in that division. Absolutely not. Like I, I don't know if you remember, but he dominated Tai Tuivasa in his home yeah. uh, in his home country. Like he like thirty twenty six type stuff. Like it was it was not pretty. Uh, Ty was all bloody. Uh, and it, it, and it kind of led to Ty going back and changing camps and trying to find, you know, a, a way to to defend takedowns and stuff. I don't think he's lost since he lost to Spivak. But, you know, nobody really knew much about Sergey. But uh, when he beat Ty, I think that kind of put his name out there. He's kind of been up and down since then. But uh, this win with Sakai definitely has earned him a spot in the top 15. Like you said, he's not a fun matchup for anybody because he seems like he's a very, very strong grappler. And in a division, especially like the heavyweight division, where a lot of these guys are relying on power strikes and stuff, uh, he's not a fun matchup at all. Yeah. Um, this fight, or this fight card, or main card, sorry, uh, started with uh, Terrence McKinney, uh, which um, originally, I guess, the Lipsky fight fell out. Uh, I never saw exactly why. Uh, but uh, Terrence McKinney, Will, a guy that a big prospect that we've both been extremely high on. I know he lost to Drew Dober uh, his last time out, but look, that was a very fun fight. We know the kind of dog Drew Dober is, and just the fact that Drew Dober survived what McKinney threw at him early is my a bigger takeaway to me than McKinney even losing that fight. Bounces back with another big win, big finish, calls out Patty Pimblett in the aftermath. Uh, Terrence McKinney, uh, once again, I think uh, just the, the stock continues to go up. Yeah, and this is exactly what he needed after uh, that loss to Dober. Like you said, it didn't lose him any stock losing to Dober, but like you want to see him, like if, you want to see him follow that up. Like you want to see him be a guy like Eric Gonzalez, who not many people know, and you want to see him do it in dominant fashion. And that's exactly what he did. Um, I, you know, like he, he didn't lose any stock with me. I still think he's a problem. I think on a full camp, he probably still could beat Drew Dober. You know, I feel like that that could possibly be a fun matchup that we see again down the line. Uh, but his wrestling, he barely ever uses because uh, his striking's so good. And then we see the submission factor come in. So, like, this guy is very well-rounded. And the fact that he called out Patty Pimblett, man, I mean, I mean, for the fans, that's a fun matchup. That's a that's a matchup that fans were calling for uh, after Patty Pimblett won his last fight. But for, for me, if I'm the UFC, I'm staying far away. I'm keeping Patty as far away from Terrence McKinney as possible because that is not a matchup that favors Patty anywhere. Um, I think Terrence McKinney would absolutely dominate that fight. Agreed. And uh, Patty loses all his stars. So 
I mean, I already know. I'm pretty sure that the UFC is staying far away from this matchup. But if they're even considering this, uh, I I would definitely advise against it. <laughs> I would say that uh, I, I would be 100% betting on the Patty hype train to come to a finale about two minutes into the fight. <laughs> If it goes that Screeching long, ball. right? Like Terrence McKinney is a buzzsaw, especially early. And uh, I think he would have the advantage on the feet. I think he would have the advantage in the grappling areas. And I, yeah, yes. I, I think that would be a, a very rough step up in competition from uh, Jordan Levitt to Terrence McKinney if you were right. Patty Pimblett. But uh, look, sign, like, am I going to be thrilled to watch that fight? If they make that, I'm going to be really excited about it. I just, oh, yeah. I just think it's going to be over very quickly because Terrence right. McKinney is a problem. Yeah. All right, man. Well, yeah, like we mentioned, um, all 10 fights on both the prelims and main card were finishes on this fight card. It was a ton of fun. And uh, before we move on to our selections, um, you watched Contender Series last week for the first time from start to finish, which I had no idea. That's shocking to me. Um, you picked a good one because that was one of the best Contender Series cards that we've had. I mean, as long as I've been watching it, it was spectacular. And tonight, by the way, which again, for the people listening, uh, by the time you actually hear this, the, the Tuesday Night Contender Series card will probably be over, but if you happen to miss it, go back and watch it because one of the biggest prospects to come to the UFC in a while uh, is the main attraction tonight, Bo Nickel. So if you don't know anything about this guy, either Google it up or uh, just go back and watch it in the aftermath, but there are a, there's a ton of excitement around Bo Nickel in uh, Contender Series tonight. Yeah, look, so um, I don't know why, but you know I, I've been, I've been, watch, been watching Tough and I'll, I don't watch it live. I watch the next day on ESPN Plus. Yeah. Uh, so for some reason, I'm just like looking on ESPN Plus and I see the Contender Series and I'm like, oh, duh. Like I can watch the Contender Series after the fact. So I just happened to start watching it. And man, I mean, like you said, I think this is like peak Contender Series. Like that's this is like the best of the best when if you just completely knock it out of the park, home run after home run after home yeah. run, that fight card was Everything that Dana White wants in a contender series fight card. And I guess the, the week before was was so bad that um, he was, I, I guess, one person got a contract. And I'll say this, uh, the, the week fight. before, Will, as, as long as I've been watching contender series, was the worst. And I hyped it up, right? Like, I hyped it up two weeks yeah. ago. And that night, week one of this season, it was the worst contender series card that I've ever seen. And I was like, of course, yeah. like, I hype it up on the podcast and it, it falls flat <laughs> on its face. But, yeah. Yeah, Dana wasn't happy. Like when Dana openly trashes the, the all of the fighters on that card outside of one person, yeah. you know that you know this definitely wasn't good. Like uh, when he was going to his to his interviews and stuff, like he just did not look happy at all. And then you re, you fast forward a week, and this guy looks like he just hit the lottery or something. Like he just won a a, a shit ton of money. Um, the way that uh, he wants his fighters to fight, these fighters to fight, like he, he wants you to fight like it's a game seven. Like, uh, like your life depends on it. Like, this is an opportunity at the big leagues, at the UFC. And these fighters that fought last week definitely fought that way. Uh, there was so many twists and turns and, and fun knockouts. And, you know, you, you think one guy's about to get a knockout and then he ends up knocking the other guy out. I, I, we saw that in the main event. I mean, I forget what the, uh, what the two kids got, what the two kids' names were that, fight in the, that fought in the main event. But that whole card from start, from start to finish was just jam-packed, action-packed, these guys fought like they wanted it. And it's a it's a tough ask for this card uh, that's coming up tonight. It's a tough ask to follow what happened last week. But the fact that Bo Nichols on the card, uh, he just had a very, very impressive knockout in his last fight. And he's got all this hype around him. Um, there's some pressure there. But, yeah. I mean, from what I've seen from Bo Nichols thus far and his credentials and everything. I, I feel like he's up for the challenge. Well, I'll say this. I mean, there is a lot of pressure, but uh, after watching last week, if you're on tonight's card, like, you know, you have to go out on your shield, right? Like you can't oh, yeah. coast uh, and, and play it safe. Like if you really want that contract, you've got to lay it all out there and potentially risk losing the fight to win the fight, right? It's a completely different mentality than like any other fight that you're ever going to be in. So that's the interesting dynamic of it is uh, like winning isn't, isn't enough. Yeah, what so, do you what do you think what do you think about that that um, winning isn't enough? You want these guys to kind of fight outside themselves and risk losing the fight yeah. to to enter to be entertaining, sure, and to make it really exciting for the fans. But what do you think about about that? Because some of these guys are not fighting how they would normally fight just to try to right. get a, a UFC contract. What do you think about that? 
I love it. I think it's great television. And if you're somebody that um, doesn't want to go that route, then find another route to the like. This isn't the only route to the UFC. So I would I would just simply say. Dana White's Contender Series is probably not for every UFC prospect, right? There are some Absolutely. UFC prospects that this probably isn't their best path to get into the UFC. So I think you'd probably just need to evaluate it. Like, if like tough might be a better op- option for somebody that's not a highlight type of guy, right? That's a, more of a grinder, for example. So I, I think you take it for what it's worth. If, if it's something that potentially suits your skill set, then take the opportunity. If it's not, then... I mean, yeah, they're asking something completely different of you, but you you don't have to necessarily take that path. That's not the only path to the UFC is all I'm saying. So I love it. I mean, the first time I ever watched this thing, I was like, this is badass because you know how much is on the line. And for all the people out there that have the criticism of the UFC, like there's too many boring fights. Well, this is the answer to that, right? This is how you answer that is you get people that want the UFC contract and you say winning's not enough. You need to be exciting in the process. And look, even then, it's still up to Dana to potentially say, yeah, it wasn't quite enough for me. So, I mean, I've seen guys that I thought that was a really impressive win and they didn't get a contract. So, um, right. you know, part of that probably depends on Dana's mood, which is, I mean, it's one element that, that like, if Dana's in a bad mood, you're, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. If he's in a good mood, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. That's also an element of this that maybe some people don't like. But the reality is it's structured in a way to produce exciting fights every time out, which, look, sign me up. Yeah, yeah. So for me personally, sign me up. I mean, for the the fact that that was my first time watching it from start to finish, like I've seen highlights, of course, and every contender series guy, like you can tell the UFC kind of favors because they want to put them on the main card of these fight nights and give them big spots right away. Um, But yeah, I mean, even if it doesn't fit your suit, your uh, fighting style to be on the contender series and kind of fight outside of yourself, like if you have that dog in you, like this is the perfect this is the perfect uh, platform to, to show that you can be an exciting fighter for the fans. And then once you're in the UFC, you're in the UFC. But in order to get there, and some some of the routes to get to the UFC, it's not as, I'm not going to say easy, but like you go out on the contender series and you get a an exciting win or even an exciting loss because we've seen that before. Yeah. People who have exciting fights and lose, we've seen them get contracts. But if you go to the, U- to the UFC uh, contender series and you take on uh, and you just fight outside yourself, Make it exciting for the fans. At least you're in. You know, sometimes these it takes like four or five yeah. different. Like you have to win a championship, defend the title four or five times, and then like ask Alexander Volkanovsky what he had to do to get to the UFC right. compared to what what happened to some of these guys in the contender series, and and you'll see the difference. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, Bo Nickel tonight again. This is as big a prospect as we've had in a while in terms of uh, getting into the UFC. There's a ton of hype behind him. Um, and especially within the wrestling community, right? Like everybody speaks oh, yeah. really highly of this guy, not to mention we've seen highlight knockouts. So you know, he has the power in, in addition to the wrestling pedigree. Uh, but uh, maybe something to look out for if, if uh, you don't normally watch the contender series. All right, before we make picks, um, I'll just be honest with you, man. Everything kind of has run together for me the last couple of weeks. I don't remember what we've talked about and what we haven't in terms of like announcements and all that. So <laughs> if there's anything you want to mention here before we make picks in terms of announcements, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I think everything just kind of hit us like after the after the show. But um, I'll start with uh, Madison Square Garden main event. Uh, Israel Adesanya fighting Alex Pajeda uh, in the main event. And also on that card, uh, I don't know if this is the co-main or uh, but this is definitely a featured uh, featured battle on the card. Dustin Poirier against Michael Chandler. So those are two uh, of the big fights. Um, I mean, it's crazy uh, to me that we have Izzy who's been a, a dominant champion. And then this guy, Alex Pajeda, comes in. A year ago, this guy was in the uh, was making his debut at Madison Square Garden, and he's coming back the next year fighting for the world title. Like that, It's crazy uh, how quick his rise has been, how he's basically checked all the boxes. And what's, what's, really, uh, what's really been perfect for him, he hasn't had to really face any of his deficiencies yet. Like, he hasn't had to face a guy who's going to wrestle him to this point. He fought one. Um, who, who had good takedown oh, defense and finished the fight, but yeah. I think it was yeah, in the, his the, second fight. Yeah, so outside of that, um, like Izzy's not a guy who's going to take him down. Izzy's, Izzy's a, a kickboxer just like he is. So like up to this point, he hasn't really needed to even fight anyone who's had wrestling because the champion is a kickboxer. So uh, his rise has been crazy good, and now they're fighting. And, and this is a guy who's beaten Izzy twice in kickboxing, so the story is there. Um, it's like... Izzy's having to address the ghost of his past 
in the world's most famous arena. Like the the story writes itself. Uh, and and this guy, I mean, for all of the dominant performances that we've seen from Izzy, I mean, Alex seems like he's a really really tough matchup for Izzy. Uh, no matter what where they're fighting at, kickboxing, MMA, uh, it seems like Alex is a tough matchup because he's the same height as him. His legs are long. Uh, he's got a left hand from hell. I mean, what a matchup that this is. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, I, I, at this point, I think it's that that's been announced as the main event for MSG. It's not been confirmed yet, but all signs are pointing toward uh, Poirier Chandler being the co-main and that being a five rounder. Uh, and then we'll cool. see what else comes together. But uh, five rounds of Poirier Chandler with a main event with all the storylines attached to it of uh, Alex Pereira and uh, Israel Adesanya and MSG. Sign me up. Um, I will also say this. UFC 280 is among the most <laughs> loaded cards I've ever seen in my life. Good Lord, man. UFC 280, main event, Charles Oliveira, Islam Mahashev. Yes, please. Co-main, Aljamain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw, Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady, Peter Yan, Sean O'Malley, Benil Dariush, Matus Gamrot. That's your main card. Prelims, Marina Rodriguez, Amanda Lemosh. That's, that's a crazy matchup. That's crazy. Caitlin Chukagian, uh, Man and Firo, um, Muradov, K.O. Barajo, um, Mohamed Mikhaev and Malcolm Gordon, Volkan Uzdemir and Nikita Krylov. Like, this fight card is stupid. I love it. <laughs> you know, uh, when they first announced that they were going back to Abu Dhabi, I didn't uh, expect this fight card to be uh, anywhere near as loaded as it is. It's crazy. Uh, that this fight card is so loaded. It makes you wonder what e what the bout order is even going to be because, I mean, they could pretty much do whatever with this with this bout order. It, it, it's absolutely yeah. insane how much they've stacked this card. And then the matchups, all these matchups, all the matchups that you just listed are so intriguing and they have such uh, important implications for their divisions. I mean, of course, you got the two title fights. Peter Yan and Sean O'Malley is as good as, it get, as it's going to get at, at the bantamweight division. Marina Rodriguez, Amanda Lemos. I mean, for for Marina Rodriguez, I mean, I don't think there's any other matchup that that can make sense in terms of 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 a fun stylistic matchup than Amanda Lemos. I yeah. mean, I I expect that fight to be fireworks. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, Sean Brady. How important is that fight for the welterweight division? Uh, Benil Darius and Gamrot. Like, the it's literally championship or or you're you're back into yeah. this this dog pound of lightweight contenders i mean so if whoever wins this fight is like on the doorstep um mohammed mukayev i mean i'm 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 thinking that he's on the cusp of really uh breaking into like the top 15 and 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 if he's successful here they might just bump him up to like the top five because he's looked so dominant yeah. uh caitlin and and Firo. i mean Firo's looked dominant in her la in her last few fights up to this point but she's fighting caitlin chukagan somebody who's uh, a fun striker just like just like her and who's the same size as her so she's had a size advantage on a lot of these girls she's not going to have that with Caitlin Chukagian I mean there's so much to love here yeah. and then of course there's a there's a Khabib relative on this card yeah. and uh and I don't even know how to say his first name but you already know that uh he's going to be coming for the finish so this fight has so much to love man this is the most stacked card of the year I mean I don't really see it getting any better than this yeah it's gonna be a ton of fun uh, coming up very, very soon. All right, let's make picks for UFC Fight Night, Cheeto Vera, Dominic Cruz from one of my favorite cities in the world, San Diego, California. Six fights on the main card, and we begin in the women's strawweight division. I'm not going to do well at, with either one of these <laughs> names, so I apologize in advance, but uh, it is Yasmin Yareji. I see the, uh, is that a, oh no, that's a Mexican flag. Never mind. I thought that was an Italian flag. Uh, so I was going to try to do it anyway. Uh, versus uh, Ismin Lucindo from Brazil. Uh, the odds say that uh, Yasmin is the minus 220 favorite, plus 175 for Lucindo. Ooh, so these two I, I don't really know much about, but uh, after doing you know a little bit of research on them both, uh, it seems like Yasmin is... Uh, the younger fighter with a lot of potential, and um, did you say it was Yasmin? Yasmin, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go or Yasmin, or I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Yasmin, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to. Okay, okay, okay. Say the we'll last name Yasmin. and Lucindo. But she's. Yeah. It seems like she uh, she's on a on a big winning streak. Uh, 
but uh, it's kind of like she's she's fought more, uh, but it seems like Yasmin uh, is the is the more uh, she's got the potential hype train. So it, it, it seems yeah hype train. It seems like it's experience versus the hype train. Um, you know, having not seen either one of them fight before, um, I guess I'm gonna, just going to go with the uh, undefeated Mexican here. Okay. But I do expect this to be a pretty entertaining fight because uh, the UFC puts put these two women on the main card here for a reason. And I'm sure they've seen uh, some really good uh, fights out of both of them. So I'm going to go with Yasmin and see what happens. So here's what I know about this fight because I haven't seen either fight either. Both making their UFC debut in this fight, both of them. So the reason you haven't seen them fought is because neither one of them has fought in the UFC. Yasmin is 23 years old but has a record of 8-0. Lucindo is 20 years old but has a record of 13 and four. (laughs) So she has 17 pro fights and she's 20 years old, which is mind blowing to me. And the less experienced fighter is the, the elder of the two at 23 years old, but the hype train. Yeah, this is crazy. So um, yeah, I like, I don't know where to go here either. Um, I will go with the undefeated fighter and the older of the two and go Yasmin as well. All right. Fight number two on this main card takes us to the women's strawweight division. It is the wife of the goat, Amanda Nunes. That would be Nina Nunes fighting Cynthia Calvillo. Oddshark.com has Calvillo is the minus 155 favorite plus 130 for Nina Nunes. Yeah, this is a very interesting fight because um, both of them have been rather inconsistent. They both used to fight at strawweight. Uh, Cynthia's had problems making uh, 115, so she moved up to flyaway. She had a really good win in her first fight, I believe, against Jessica I. It was a main event, uh, but then she started fighting some of the upper echelon of the division, and uh, like the Caitlin Chukagians and like the Jessica Andrages, and she hasn't uh, had a really good run up there since then. Uh, Nina Nunes, um, you know, she she took a lot of time off. She ha- she was on a really good run uh, before she took the time off to have the baby. Yeah. Um, she was on a really good run, but then she ended up losing to, um, Tatiana Suarez. Uh, and that, and after that, she was like, okay, uh, my run for the title, you know, ended here. I'm going to go ahead and have the baby. She, she did that. Uh, she was out for like almost two years, came back and then she lost to Mackenzie Dern, which I saw that coming a mile away because, you know, Mackenzie Dern is so good. This is a fight where with, this is a fight with Calvillo where Nina Nunes can win. But there's just so many questions on like how she's looked because in that fight with uh, Mackenzie Dern, uh, we didn't really get to see where she was at because Mackenzie knew to take the fight to her early, get her on the ground and submit her. Um, with this fight with Calvillo, I do expect Nina Nunes to have to have some chances. She's never really been one to uh, get any you know knockouts or anything, but she's been more of someone to outlast people, uh, can get the occasional submission. Uh, in terms of my pick here, man, uh, it's really tough. But since Nina Nunes has been out for so long, um, I'm going to go ahead and pick Calvillo here. Um, and I, I'm not confident in that pick at all because I, I, I kind of feel like Calvillo is on the wrong side of her career right now. Kind of seems like she's on the downward yeah. slope. But I think she's getting a good favorable matchup uh, or good stylistic matchup with Nina Nunes. So uh, I'm, I'm going to take Calvillo by decision. And I don't expect to see a, a rather uh, entertaining fight, but we'll see. Calvillo's lost three in a row. Uh, Nunes has lost two in a row. Uh, Calvillo's 35. Nunes is 36. Um, I think they're both on the other side of the the peak, right? Um, right. And it kind of just is almost like who wants it more. Um, Nina Nunes has fought one time since the pandemic began. Cynthia Calvillo's fought four times since the pandemic started. So uh, in terms of activity, Calvillo's been much more active, although she's lost three in a row. She's been much more active. And I just kind of get the overall impression, like, kind of feel like she just wants to fight more maybe than Nina Nunes does at this point. Um, And I would say, I think in terms of like ceiling, I think I've seen maybe a a higher ceiling from Cynthia Calvillo than Nina Nunes, but um, that could probably be debated. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo for me as well. Fight number three on this main card is Devin Clark and Azamat Merzakhanov at light heavyweight oddshark.com has Merzakhanov at minus 174 plus 143 for Devin Clark. Man, you know, I thought Devin Clark looked really good in his last fight, but his last fight was at heavyweight and he ended up getting a knockout. I forget the kid who he ended up beating, but it was a, a very impressive performance. William Knight. Yeah, yeah, the big the big swole dude. Yeah, yeah um Devin Clark ended up knocking him out. It was at heavyweight. 
Uh, he's had a tough run at light heavyweight. Um, there's been times where he's looked good, but he seems to lose that uh, that matchup against those upper echelon guys like the Anthony Smiths. Uh, he lost to Kutalaba. And, uh, you know, in both of those fights, uh, you hear his dad just basically just in his getting in his ass. Like, <laughs> it's kind of tough to have your dad there as your, yeah. as your head coach. But um, I do think he's very skilled. Um, his wrestling's good, but he just doesn't seem to really put it all together all the time. Uh, in terms of his fight, of this fight, um, he's probably the more experienced guy here. But uh, is, he, is, he going to, is he going to show up? Uh, in, in this fight with with a guy who's making his UFC debut, uh, not his UFC de- debut, but with a guy who's uh, rather young in his UFC career. Um, I don't know much about the guy. I remember seeing him fight once. Uh, but in terms of my pick, it's, it's another one of those like experience versus hype type deals. And I'm going to go with as, I'm gonna go with Azamat here. All right. I'm gonna go with Azamat. Uh, 2021 Contender Series winner, uh, one UFC fight, and that was a uh, flying knee knockout oh, over Tafan and Chukwe. Um, oh wow! Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go Mirzakhanov as well. Um, I, I I like Devin Clark. I would like to see him get a big win, but uh, don't know that this is the right matchup for him. All right, fight number four on the main card is in the middleweight division. It is the veteran Gerald Mearshart against Bruno Silva. Oddshark.com has Bruno Silva as the minus 400 favorite, plus 235 for Gerald Mearshart. Man, you know, Gerald, he's a very interesting cat because uh, he's so good everywhere. He's a veteran. Like, his his groundwork has, has been really, really good. He was on a winning streak. Uh, after he lost to Hamza, like a lot of people wrote him off, and then he won three in a row. Uh, he was getting bonuses and everything, but then he lost his last one against uh, Jocko. I don't like this matchup for him against Bruno Silva, man. Um, I think Bruno Silva uh, knocks him out. <laughs> uh, but I do think that uh, if he's going to win, he's going to have to get this fight to the ground, tire Bruno Silva out. But I think uh, Bruno's uh, a skilled enough striker where he'll be able to land something. But uh, Gerald, is a, he's a veteran, been around the game for a long time. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does take this to the ground and uh, tires him out. But Bruno Silva's a tank. You know, we saw him give Alex Pajeda a really tough matchup in a fight that was mostly standing. So for him to withstand that, you know, I, I, he earned a lot of points with me on that. But, um, yeah, I, my pick's going to go with Bruno Silva, man. Uh, I think this is, gonna, this is a tough matchup for GM3. Yeah. Um, credit Mearshart, by the way, for bouncing back. He had three straight um, finishes after the Hamzat loss which was, I mean, over like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he lost his last time out, and I think Bruno Silva's just, I mean, we saw it in the, in the Alex Pajeda fight, as you just mentioned. He is, he is a problem. He is not an easy out, and uh, I think there's a pretty big power advantage in, in this fight as well. Um, Bruno Silva for me. All right, co-main event is David Onama and Nate Landwehr in the featherweight division. Onama is your favorite at minus 220, plus 175 for Nate Landwehr. Uh, man, this is David Onama all day for me. I mean, this guy looks like he is just uh, a huge problem uh, in this division. He's uh, he he's a killer. He's always looking for the finish, and as of late, the finishes have become an early and often for him. So uh, my pick's gonna go with uh, David Onama. I really like uh, this kid's ceiling. I think if he just keeps his head on straight, uh, this is guy is going to be yeah. a problem in this in this division. Uh, David Onama has fought twice in 2022 already. His last fight was. One month ago today, July the 9th, he's fighting one month later. I like Onama in this. The only thing I would suggest is we've seen a few fighters, I think this year and last year, um, just fight often and often and often. And sometimes um, it just kind of, right, like your body just breaks down after the weight cuts and and just jumping right back in there. Uh, I think we just saw that with, um, who was the kid that beat like Baeza and... uh, then recently oh, lost, uh, and it uh, just looked like he was like had kind of just run out of gas, right? Like, um, God, his name is right there. Yeah, this is really about to kill me because I don't even know what card he fought on. This, <laughs> but anyway, you know who I'm talking about. But yeah, like that. that uh, would, uh, Fialo, Fialo, Fialo. Yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly it. That would be my only concern here. Uh, but otherwise, it is uh, it is absolutely uh, David Onama for me as well. Which takes us to the main event in the bantamweight division. What's my saying, Will? Death, taxes, and bantamweights. Death, taxes, and bantamweights. <laughs> Cheeto, Vera, and Dominic Cruz, former 
bantamweight champion Dominic Cruz, and and for some maybe the goat of this division, certainly on the Mount Rushmore of this division, Dominic Cruz. Oh, yeah. Both guys looking to make a title surge in the very near future. Oddshark.com has Marlon Chito Vera as your minus two thirty favorite, plus one eighty for Dominic Cruz. So uh, before I break this down, have you seen the the stat on Twitter that this is only Dominic Cruz's ninth or tenth uh, UFC fight? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, and che- Cheeto's had like twenty, and Dom has only had like nine or ten. That's um, crazy. Right, and it seems like Cheeto is so new, and Dom is like the the goat of the division. Uh, he's my goat, at least. I mean, uh, I mean, before this guy got injured, he was. Uh, such a problem nobody was even close to taking that belt from him um one of these days uh i want to try to name off all of dom's former opponents and see if i can get them all because if there's only eight or nine i'm pretty sure i can i can get them go all. for but, it go ahead and do, do you have the list yeah i got it in front of me go ahead uh and uh can you down i don't even can you tell me if, it, if it's if this fight with cheeto is his ninth or tenth fight um let me count real quick one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. This is number 10. Okay, okay. All right, so we got Pedro Munoz. Yep. Um, Casey Kinney. Yep. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, Pedro Munoz, Casey Kinney. So before that would have been... Okay, Henry Cejudo. Yep. Cejudo is 2020, so. Oh, okay. Cody Garbrandt. Yep. Uh, before Cody. Okay. TJ Dillashaw. It wasn't before Cody, but but he did fight Dillashaw. So who did he fight in between? Um... TJ Dillashaw, he won the title, so he would have defended it. 197. Oh, he fought uh, Uriah Faber. Faber, yep. Uh, so what is that? Six, five? Six, you have uh, three Two left. More? Three left, okay. He fought, Fa- he fought Faber twice. That's right. So, okay. Two left. Uh, that was his debut. So after his debut... Um, okay, that was 132. Ooh, this gets kind of fishy. He never fought Burrell. Um, he fought Faber, then he got hurt. So he fought Mizugaki in his return. That was 178. Yep. Is that not it? You got one more after Faber. Oh, shit. He got hurt after he fought Faber. He fought three months after he fought Faber the first time. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not trying to I don't want to take up time but I, I might need to think about You're this gonna kick uh, I'll just tell you no 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 okay right, I, it was taken. three months okay give me give me like 10 seconds okay 10 9 he fought 8 three months seven, after 6 there wasn't 5 enough. 4 3 2 uh, 1 okay wait 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 don't tell me don't tell me don't tell me don't tell me uh, it wasn't Benavidez because that was WEC. It wasn't uh. Okay, Mizugaki was after. Was it? Oh. All right, I'm telling you. It wasn't. It wasn't an Afromil guy. It was. It was Demetrius Johnson. Uh, ah, Demetrius. I can't believe you forgot that one. That was really impressive, by the way, and I can't believe you forgot Demetrius Johnson. Well done, though. That was ah, wow. Damn. That was real. I like. I wouldn't have. I forgot my yeah. last fight at 135. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, that hurts. The one that you forgot was Mighty Mouth. That's so good. But that, that was hurts. that was incredibly impressive. All right. Anyway, the fight. Vera and uh, Dominic Cruz. That's cool. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so, yeah, Dominic is my GOAT. Um, even though he hasn't, even though he's been hurt and everything, like the fact that he was champion and then got hurt, came back, and then uh, won the title again from TJ. Like, this guy has been a model of, you know, resiliency, um, 
And, you know, he, he, he comes back from another long layoff after he lost to Cody, fought, fought Henry Cejudo, lost that fight, and now he's back on track, beating Casey Kenny, uh, beating Pedro Munoz in a fight where he got dropped twice. Um, and now he's, he's back in, in a main event, five rounds. But Cheeto's been on a tear, man. And uh, what he did to Rob Font, I kind of expected because Rob Font is, is kind of a stationary target. Uh, uh, Cheeto looked good against Sean O'Malley. He's looked good against uh, uh, what's that? Ki- what's that dude's name? That uh, the real tough dude that he couldn't put away. Uh, the one that wrestled him. Uh, this is gonna irk me. Um, what's this name? Uh, Davy Grant, yeah, looked good against Davy Grant. Oh, yeah. Knocked out, knocked out Frankie Edgar. Uh, it was a BS decision against Song Dong. I think everybody Agreed. feels that way. Yeah. Uh, nobody really thinks that Song Dong won, but somehow he came out with the decision. Uh, so he's looked really good. Uh, I think the only fight that's kind of that was kind of went bad for him in this run was that Aldo fight, and Aldo just proved that you know the, the experience factor. So you wonder if this fight with Cruz is is if it's going to be something similar. I think Aldo has a really tricky style, just like Dom. Um, they they have tricky styles for different reasons. Dom with his footwork and stuff. You know, Aldo's just been around the game. He's a lot bigger. Yeah. Uh, so when I when I think of this matchup, I mean Dom's. It, my question is, how effective is Dom's footwork going to be, and is, is that going to frustrate Cheeto and force him to do things that he's not uh, familiar with doing, forcing him into mistakes, and then. How much, if at all, will Dom use his wrestling? Because he's got very sneaky takedowns and uh, uh, and everything. Uh, so, but other than that, I think that Cheeto is a really tough matchup for Dom because Cheeto is fast, Cheeto is long, and Cheeto is just very, very skilled on the feet. So, for for how good Dom is with his footwork, I kind of feel like it'll be tough him to really get going against Cheeto, especially if Cheeto starts firing off those leg kicks, because we did see that um, Cheeto had, or not Cheeto, that Dom had trouble with that when he fought Henry Cejudo. So I'm sure that Cheeto will kind of look to that. Um, but like I said, I, I, for as much as I love Dom, I think he's the GOAT of the division. I just think that Cheeto, out of everyone in this division, is one of the worst matchups for him stylistically. So my pick's going to go with Cheeto Vera. I love this fight. Um, I, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if this were a three-round fight, I feel like it's an easy pick for me, and it's Dominic Cruz. In a five-round fight, I think it gives Cheeto Vera a little bit more time to diagnose and, and comprehend uh, the puzzle that is Dominic Cruz, because Dom frustrates the hell out of everybody. He's a, he's an, a really hard guy to even look good against. Even if you beat him, he's a hard guy to look good against. I think Cheeto Vera is probably the most mentally tough dude that could fight Dom and maybe not get as frustrated as other people seem to get when they fight him and just can't unlock that puzzle. Uh, so again, I think the five rounds is a massive advantage here for Cheeto as opposed to, you know, if this were like a three round fight on a, uh, on a pay-per-view. So um, credit to Cheeto's camp for getting this done as a main event on a fight night versus the alternative, uh, because I think this gives him a much better chance and he's somewhat of a slow starter, I think anyway. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think both these guys are tough as nails, and over the course of 25 minutes, um, I will take Cheeto Vera in a five-round fight. Uh, let's go decision Cheeto Vera over Dominic Cruz and should create some really fun matchmaking in the bantamweight division. Yeah, you know, uh, to your point about him starting slow, that's what we saw against Rob Font. Like, Rob Font came out like a bat out of hell, was very active, and uh, it seemed like Cheeto didn't really have an answer in the first round, or he just didn't really attack back. But after that, like when the second round started, it seemed like it was a completely different fight. And for how for how much Cheeto seemed to get hit in that fight, by the time the fight was over, it looked like Rafa got hit by a truck and Cheeto just went for a run or something. Like yeah. it, it was it was crazy um, just by how much uh, he damaged Rafa's face. But like I said, Rafa is a stationary target, and for how skilled that Cheeto is, he he was able to get to him. I just wonder how much Dom's footwork is going to play a factor into this, which is going to play a factor it is, somehow. Yeah. It, it just depends on how Cheeto answers that. Is he going to get frustrated, and or is he just going to um, pick, and, pick his shots, not tire himself out? Because like you said, that's why this um, 
that's why this five round fight favors uh, Cheeto so much in, in comparison to a three round. So, yeah, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun because Cheeto's always up for a dog fight, and after watching Dom against Pedro, he's he's up for a dog fight as well. He's even against Cody. Yeah, uh, he's always been up for a dog fight. So this should be a lot of fun. Um, but we'll see if Cheeto's got the, that championship, those championship chops, those, that championship IQ, the championship. Um, Oh, what's the word? I mean, I'm not going to say mentality, but like when you're in there and, you know, times get tough, are you going to be able to stay within yourself right. and still fight to that level? So we're going to learn a lot about Cheeto and we'll find out if Dom is still um, at that level. So very fun fight. No better guy to test the mental fortitude of yourself than uh, than Dominic Cruz, because he will certainly do that. Well, good stuff, my friend. Uh, we will uh, text later. Uh, obviously, big contender series fights tonight and a big card on Saturday. We'll do it again next week. Yes, sir. Okay, it's over.